Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Um, Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. I wonder what happens with you when you go through challenging times in your life and you are being oppressed and you're being attacked over and over again. How do you respond I know how I am tempted to respond. I am tempted to respond uh, with my emotions. And when, when my emotions ramp up, what ends up happening is that I find myself not thinking as clearly, not thinking as well. And, and over and over again, I may make some very bad choices. Uh, sometimes when I can get triggered, I'm sure when it happens with you, you can have some really poor communications. You are probably not thinking about how you respond well to others. You, you misunderstand things. You take things personally. Uh, I've been tempted that very often. And so as you go through those challenging times, you find yourself feeling this anger and, and maybe you even start to talk about other people or um, maybe you roll around in your mind how you would respond. I, I want you to think about how Jesus responds to the struggles that he goes through. Now, throughout this series, we have been finding that Jesus has had a series of encounters with people. And as he's had these encounters with people, they have been responding for the most part in the series that we've seen, they have been responding well to him. But the reality is, and if we know that millions upon millions and billions upon billions of people in this world reject Christ, the reality is the stories that we've been seeing of those people whose hearts have melted before Christ is not the telltale story of the world that we live in. That when when Jesus and they're encountered with Jesus, what they have a tendency to do is to get hardened and bitter and angry. And perhaps you've had somebody or a conversation where you've tried to bring Jesus to them and there was this anger, the vitriol that is there. I want you to see today that as Jesus is hanging on the cross preparing to pay the way for sinners to come to a relationship with God, that he becomes the eternal sacrifice for us. I want you to see the encounters that Jesus has on the cross. I want you to see how Jesus encounters his father. I want you to see how Jesus encounters the crowd that's around him. I want you to see how Jesus encounters these two thieves that are next to him. I want you to see how Jesus encounters his mother. And then I want you to see how Jesus encounters his father. And I want to see if we could pull out from this review of the cross what we, what our Savior has done for us, number one, and how we can live in a way that can reflect him in this world. So in Luke chapter 23, would you read with me? I'm going to pick up in verse 32. 
Now, up to this point, Jesus has been um, in Gethsemane, which we heard about last week, and he has been now taken captive. He has gone through a series of trials, these mock courts. In chapter 23, he has been brought before Pilate. He has been brought before Herod. Then he's brought before Pilate again. He is now going to be led to be crucified. Crucifixion is a, it's a horrendous thing. It's a horrendous way to die. I want you to consider that your Lord and Savior did this for you. Verse 32 of chapter 23 of Luke. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified with him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There also is an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion saw what had taken place, and he praised God, saying, Certainly this was an innocent man. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we we pray that as we go through these encounters, I pray that we would see your Son. I pray that we would um, be amazed at what Christ has done for us. Yes, he went through physical torment, but the greater torment he went through was he took hell upon himself. The hell that you would have poured upon us, he took for us. I praise you for that. And even as he was taking hell upon himself, your holy wrath and holy anger, his encounters with people and his encounters with you reveal who he really is. I pray that you would help us to learn from his example and help us to bring glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. So crucifixion, we have two criminals here that are on his, his right and on his left. And, and these criminals, they call them robbers or thieves. I, I want you to know that that is kind of like a terrorist. These are rebels. These are not just somebody that is just shoplifting. These are people that are attacking the very culture and undermining the culture. 
And in all likelihood, these two were in a group with Barabbas. And if you remember, Barabbas was the one that Pilate said, I'll give you Barabbas or Jesus. Who do you want? And they went, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. So this rebel Barabbas, Jesus is dying in essence in his place. These two criminals who are notorious, they're robbers, they're terrorists, they are violent men. Other Gospels will tell you that both of them are railing against Jesus in the very beginning of this crucifixion. Both of them. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment that was um, terrible. It was passed down to the Romans from the Persians and the Phoenicians. It was the cruelest form of death that humanity could endure. It was a lingering death. It was a public spectacle. You were stripped naked. You were nailed to a cross or hung on a cross. You couldn't cover yourself. And the way they performed it, you would have to actually push up off the feet to breathe and pull up off of your arms to breathe a breath. That's what every crucified person went through. It was public shame. It was humiliation. You would die of exhaustion eventually because whether you were pulling up off the nails in your hands and pushing up off the nails in your feet, you would have to do that just to get a breath. And eventually, somebody is just going to die of exhaustion. They can't do it any longer and they're going to die of asphyxiation. It's a vile way to die. It's hideous. You know, it was so hideous that the Romans had a law that a Roman citizen could not be crucified. You can kill them in other ways. That's why the Apostle Paul, his head was removed. He was not crucified. The Apostle Peter was crucified. Why? Because the Romans said, this is just cruel. They would not do that to one of their own. But they could do that to our Lord and Savior. Jesus was, was despised, and he died in our place. And the salvation that we received that cost us absolutely nothing cost the Lord Jesus Christ everything. And as he is being tormented, and as he is being mocked, and as he is being attacked, what was coming out of his life was love, grace, mercy. So I want you to see the first encounter, and you saw it. The first encounter was Jesus and his father. Jesus and his father. And what did he say? He went vertical and he said, verse 34, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus came here to make a payment for the forgiveness of the sins of those that would trust in him. In Isaiah chapter 53, I love this passage. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteem him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The very first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth was forgiveness. 
Jesus knew that we needed forgiveness. Jesus ultimately had the authority to forgive. Because if you remember, several times in the Gospels, Jesus would forgive a sinner. And people would say, how dare you forgive a sinner? Only God can forgive a sinner. And Jesus says that, you know what? In essence, I am God. And I can forgive sins. He said to the woman, your, your sins are forgiven. He said to the paralytic, rise and take up your bed. Your sins are forgiven. Over and over again, Jesus was forgiving humanity of their sins. We desperately need that. Jesus' death for us and his ability to do that for us assures us that we need to be forgiven. See, it's not just this thief on his right or his thief on his left. It is every thief that is in front of me, and it's the thief that is speaking to you now. Every single one of us desperately needs to be forgiven by God. And the very first prayer that he offered, very first thing out of his mouth, was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I think that point of don't know what they do really jumps out at me because what sin does is that it blinds us. You know, there's that song, I can see, but clearly now the rain has fallen. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, sappy song, right? I don't see clearly really ever. I don't see myself well. Jeremiah chapter 17 says our hearts are deceptive and desperately sick. Who can know it? Or in in 2 Corinthians, it says that in their case, actually, let me go back. It says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And for God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in his, in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the face of Christ. I want you to consider this, that we are blind and we cannot see unless God opens our eyes to see. We need forgiveness. So Jesus' very first encounter was vertical. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One last thing I want you to consider with this forgiveness piece in this encounter is this. It shows the height, it shows the depth, and it shows the breadth of the love of God that the greatest need you have is his forgiveness, and he gave you the greatest gift that could ever be given, his precious son, his life, his death for you. Amazing love. How can it be that my Savior died for me? Encounter number one is with his father. Encounter number two is with the cruel crowd. Now, the cruel crowd that was around him, and Jesus actually said nothing. Watch this encounter. So we have that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Verse 34 And then verse 35, and the people stood by watching, and the crawlers scoffed at him, and they said, save others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. I want you to think of the cruel people that were around him, the callousness of their hearts. They were dividing up his clothes as the soldiers were doing that, and then the crowd was attacking him. 
This massive crowd that was coming for Passover are coming and they're watching Jesus naked on a cross for you and for me. And they're jeering at him. They're mocking him. They're attacking him. They're saying, if you are the son of God, come down and save us. For me, when I get attacked, I wish I could be silent. Far too often when I get attacked, something's got to come out of my mouth. The scriptures say that Jesus was silent as a sheep before its shearers. Jesus took this over and over again from the soldiers. He took it from the people. He even took it from the religious leaders. Look with me. He continues. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him and coming up and they offered him sour wine saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That sour wine. I had always thought that that sour wine was a a gift of mercy. You know, here it's going to help you, but it wasn't. Supposedly, this sour wine was to keep you alive longer so that you would go through this pain even longer. It was cruel. They're attacking him verbally, and then they're trying to keep him alive longer. The the cruelty that is here. Verse 37, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And, And then there's a description over him. This is the king of the Jews. I want you to think about when Jesus was encountered by this cruel crowd, he responded with not a word. That's wise counsel for us. So Jesus' first encounter was vertical with his father. Father, forgive them. His second encounter was with this cruel crowd. He kept silent. His third encounter is with this hardened cynic. Look here with me. One of the criminals, verse 39, said, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This criminal that's hanging on one of his sides is attacking Jesus. Jesus is not only being attacked by the rulers, he's not only being attacked by these executioners, he's not only being attacked by the people that are passing by, he's being attacked by this guy who's been condemned to die because he's a terrorist. He's railing against Christ. And once again, Christ said nothing. I wonder how many people today have such a hardness of heart when it comes to Jesus. They blaspheme him. They curse him. They attack him. Some people you know, as soon as you list the name of Jesus, there's a hatred that is in their hearts and their lives. That's what's happening with this one thief, this one criminal. He's so cynical. He's so hardened. He's so attacking Christ. He doesn't see his own sin. He only sees the hatred of Christ. Counter number four, a convicted rebel. Look at verse 42. Let me back up to verse uh, 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we were receiving a due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The first thing is a rebuke that happens. This one thief has been looking at Jesus. 
Now, I told you early on, he has been attacking Jesus. He's railing against Jesus, but something's changed. He perhaps heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. Perhaps he heard Jesus not cursing these people and not attacking the people that were attacking him. The silence. Perhaps he he just saw how compassionate Jesus seemed. There was something different about him. And then all of a sudden, his heart starts to change. And what he does is he rebukes his fellow worker and he says, wait a minute, we're dying a right death, but this man has done nothing wrong. The recognition that he sees, he starts to see his own sin and the need for judgment, and then he sees the righteousness of Christ. His eyes are open. As Paul had said in 2 Corinthians, the eyes of an unbeliever are clouded, but the eyes of a believer have been opened. Just like when Jesus said, let, when God said, let there be light at creation, God has given light to this person on the cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, he feels convicted by his sin. He recognizes his, his deep need. He recognizes that in a moment I could take my last breath and I will stand before God and have to give an account for my life. He can't even lift his head to heaven. He is like the the publican that says, be merciful to me, the sinner. His heart is being turned. He is rebuking his fellow worker. He is thinking of his own death. He is thinking of judgment. And he recognizes, I need the forgiveness that he had just prayed for earlier. I need that. I hope you have come to a place where you've encountered Christ in such a way that you've seen your sin and seen the fact that you will stand before God as judge and recognize that there's nothing in my hands I can bring simply to his cross that I cling. And I pray that you've come to a place in your life. I've got nothing, God. I'm asking you to do it all for me. What amazes me is about these two encounters specifically, this cynical criminal and this convicted criminal, they had an encounter with Jesus, but they had a radically different way of responding. See, just like the bright sun can melt ice, that bright sun can harden a muddy ground. Jesus is the same Jesus But he is encountering this one man, and this one man is hating him. He encounters another man, and his heart is radically changed. And that's what we have in this world today. So this convicted criminal recognizes his sin. He he looks at Jesus, and he sees the innocence of Jesus, the sinlessness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. And as he sees Jesus for who he is, he sees himself for who he is, and he says, I don't deserve to even be close to this man. What amazes me as well is he says, he sees Jesus as a king, Stripped naked, hanging on a cross, he sees him as a king. He looks past the circumstances, and he sees heaven. He says, I want that. I desperately want that. Remember me. Please just remember me. You know, a hundred years from now, nobody's going to remember me. Probably 50, 10 years from now, nobody's going to remember me. He is pleading, Jesus, remember me. 
when you go into your kingdom. And this man who was a rebel, who rebuked his man, and he recognizing his sin, now he's going to get this incredible reward. Here's the reward. Hear it. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. 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 This man has done nothing to earn it. In fact, he has been a rebel, a terrorist, a violent man, but he's going to get paradise. Why? Because what Jesus did for him is the same thing he's done for all of us that trust in him. He took our sin upon himself and he lived a perfectly righteous life for you and he took your guilt and shame upon himself. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, the Father made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, in that we can become what? The righteousness of God in him. So Jesus had an encounter with his Father, and he says, forgive them. He had an encounter with the crowd, he said nothing. He had an encounter with this critic, nothing. He had an encounter with this rebel who is now convicted. I'm going to give you paradise. He had also an encounter with his mother. He had said, uh, you know, John, I need you to take care of my mom. Mom, John's going to take care of you. Jesus' last encounter in Luke is once again vertical. He started with his father. He's now going to go vertical again. Watch this. Verse 44. It's now the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sunlight failed and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. This is so, this is so important for you to understand. The temple was divided into sections and there was the holiest of holy section. It was a symbolic of the place where God's presence was. No person was allowed into the presence of God except for the high priest on one occasion during the Day of Atonement once per year. That was it. You could not enter the presence of God and have access to God unless it came by this one man that would enter for you and atone for your sins. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, God tore that veil from top to bottom. I want you to consider this. I had never considered this. What is the big deal about the fact it was torn from top to bottom? Salvation starts from God and works down to us. It never is from up, from us to him. That as God is ripping that veil, which is saying, I'm giving you access to me through my son. But how does that happen? The wrath of God is being poured out upon Christ. And Christ is going to cry out, as you'll see in other passages, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And what Jesus is doing is he is voluntarily taking God's anger for your sin upon himself and he is dying in your place as a substitution. He is taking God's wrath that he would have poured upon you for eternity in hell. He is taking it upon himself. And his encounter with his father is now not a father, but God, you're doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? Why is he doing it to me? It's because Jesus is bearing my sin. I want you to consider that Jesus is bearing your sin as he's dying on the cross. His first encounter was with his father, forgive them. His second encounter was with this cruel crowd. His third encounter is with the cynic. His fourth encounter is with this convicted man. His fifth encounter is with his mother. His sixth encounter is now with, my God, my God. And his final encounter is he goes back vertically. And he says in verse 46, Then Jesus cried out, called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Other passages will tell us that he will say, it is what? Finished. So in closing, I want you to consider this. There are counters with Jesus. The encounter with Jesus will either leave you hardened or will melt you. And if you sit in a church day after day and you hear the gospel message and you do not bend your knee, I am concerned for you because you are going to become hardened and harder and harder. Every Thanksgiving, when you hear that we should be thankful for what God has done for us, and you do not respond. Every Christmas, that we hear the good news of the story of the incarnation, and you do not respond. Every Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that you hear of a Savior who died and rose for you, and you do not respond, you will get harder and harder and harder. And and Scripture says... Do not harden your heart as they did at Mirava. If you hear the word, turn to him. As a soldier stood there and watched this, Jesus took his last breath and he said, he must have been the son of God. Even the soldier in all likelihood trusted in Christ because of an encounter with Christ. So as you're encountering Christ today, where are you? Today is the day of salvation. Some of you have heard the good news of the gospel and you've avoided it. Some of you have heard the good news of the gospel and you've attacked it. I would hope that the majority of you have heard the good news of the gospel and been so thankful for it. One last thing I want you to consider is this. The gospel is not just for salvation. If there are non-believers here, I pray that you do not walk out of this building and do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Please don't do that. I ran a red light the other night, just the other night. I thought I could see clearly. 
And I didn't. Ran right through it. Could have gotten killed. I know that even as stupid as it was for me to run the red light, I know if I took my last breath, I know where I'm going. But do you? Do you? So, Father, we pray. that we would think about the encounters that Jesus had on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of his amazing kindness and his grace. Lord, we do not deserve it. I'm worse than the thief on the cross. And you've given me everything. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that it's not about how we do horizontally. It's about where we stand vertically. We stand before a sinless, holy, perfect Savior. The book of Isaiah tells us that Jesus on his first advent came here as a Savior who is compassionate and kind. It also tells us on his second advent he comes as as the judge of this world. Every person that hears my voice will stand before God and be given an account, will be judged. Father, I pray that, I pray that everyone that hears my voice will be on the other side with that convicted rebel who is now a saved man. I pray that as we encounter Christ, that we will melt not get hardened. Father, for our family members, for our friends, for those that are not here, Father, I pray that you would help us to be silent at times and then other times speak in love and grace so that people will see Christ through us. So help us to know the gospel. Help us to love the gospel. Help us to represent the gospel in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.